1: and welcome back to part two of our show today about amazing connections between the Old Norse Viking traditions and the modern masonry and orvid we've been through a lot yes um, I felt maybe that we were a little bit quick to go from the heathen from the pagan to the Christian okay era uh, and I also understand you have a few additional things to fill in so before we delve specifically into more examples of similarities between freemasonic rites and norse rites i think we should start there shed a little more light on on that step of the period from the pagan to the christian ritual okay so yeah, you were talking about Arthurstein. You couldn't remember his grandfather, and and I, I was kicking myself because I've been watching. Have you? Are you aware of the History Channel series called Vikings? No, no. It's, it's very popular now. It's like a dramatization. Uh, it's it's not it's not a documentary. It's like a normal TV series, but mm. they've used a lot of experts to consult and try to get it it, it as authentic as possible and. What I like about it is, okay, there's still some myths, but at least they're not depicting Vikings with horn at their helms. (laughs) (laughs) But they do throw in a lot of interesting, lesser-known stuff. Of course, they make a big narration. That's, uh, I think they start with uh, Ragnar uh, Lothbrok. Yeah. And they end up with, uh, who do they end up with? Um, Anyway, they go through a long period. And, Athelstein and Alfred are both important uh, role figures in that series. So hmm. I should have known it just from popular references. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but you can now you can now take over. Yeah. So Athelstein.
0: Yeah. Athelstein, he, he was probably the man who changed the old Scandinavian or Norse rites into the proto-freemasonry with the changes that were made in York in 926. I think the inspiration for him was his grandfather Alfred the Big, the, the Great, who, and with his laws that came around 895 or, or so where they had an introduction uh, from the Bible, from the Old Testament, with Moses giving the Ten Commandments to his people and King Solomon as the wise ruler in the old times. And I think the inspiration to introduce Solomon instead of the Old Norse God came from those laws. Mm. And um, and again, we're talking uh, ten
1: hundreds.
0: No, nine hundred and twenty-seven. About nine twenty-seven. Okay.
1: Mm.
0: And um, after this, let's say, changement or um, introduction of King Solomon in the then-time Freemasonry or Norse rites, he was a sort of guarantor for these rites being sort of Christian, and this was the mixed religion probably that the scholars talk about when it comes to the religion in England at that time. Mm. So uh, he, Adelstein, used this new religion to get control over the Scandinavian population in the British Isles, he, he controlled his part, but not the Danelaw, but he took over the area of the Danelaw after King Sigrid's death. And after this, um, let's say, right, he called himself king of all ruler of England. all Britain. King of England and ruler of Britain. Ruler of Britain. It would be much
1: easier. Look, it's just logical. If he wants the local Vikings to accept him. Yeah. What better way to say, look, you can keep your uh, traditions, your rituals, but only you have to call, you you cannot use the names of the gods. Just replace them with these terms. I mean, that's better than just imposing something entirely new. And different, right? Yeah. So, so it kind of makes sense.
0: So he used the religion as the British or English kings had used religion in the centuries before to get control over his people and, and as kings usually do with religion. Yeah. So, uh, but he at the same time, he became the guarantor of Freemasonry. Then they had a sort of acceptance ...from the population that this was an okay religion, Mm. or okay rights to continue, Mm -hmm. probably.
1: Mm.
0: He um, he was also said to be eager collector of of, uh, bones, reliquies, that he gave to cloisters and churches around in England... And because of this, he was regarded as a good Christian in his time. Mm. Um, documents from this period also claim that he founded many, many, um, um,
1: say it in Norwegian and we'll find the word,
0: yeah, ja, um, mange gilder, yeah. Oh, Guilds. Yeah, they say
1: banquet guild. Uh, you're right. That's uh, in people don't know, but every Freemasonic meeting is closed with a so-called guilds. Yeah. Uh, a guild.
0: So that too uh, it has Norse origin. Yeah, and uh, because at that time guild was a religious gathering, but uh, after the Norman Conquest it became different. It then it became. Uh, Congregation of uh, Tradesmen, and even later it became Congregation of uh, Artisans. Mm. That, it, that is the meaning today.
1: Right, that's true. Uh, so, it originally meant feast, but it kind of changed to also mean what the English call guild.
0: Yes. Mm.
1: Right, right. Which we in Norwegian... Um, call um, ah, uh, I forgot the Norwegian word, but it not man? but uh, løg, løg we call Leug, it. Yes, right. Leug,
0: yeah. Yes, yes.
1: Okay. Uh,
0: but it's uh, Which,
1: by the way, is the same as craft, yeah. which is what they call masonry. <laughs> yeah.
0: Obviously. Yeah. Uh, b- but it said that Atelstan, um, he established many guilds at his time. And I think that establishing guilds after having transformed the original Norse religion probably meant the guilds or new lodges, as we would call today. Yeah,
1: yeah. Small units, groups, local temples. Yeah. And I see the word kraft. Actually, you know, in Norwegian kraft means power, physical strength, might.
0: Power, yes. And I think that the the word comes from the old Norse word kraptr, as you say. Mm -hmm. And this is a sort of handicraft. We have the same here. Because the old uh, halls where they used to have the initiation and meetings, Mm -hmm. they were used for for weaving and spinning and looming and different sorts of um, activities that they used in the oh. on the farm mm. and uh, so the word corrupter has probably gone over to craft and this is now synonym with Freemasonry in in the english-speaking word
1: yeah but you see you see the logical transition uh, in in german kraft means yes strength but also skill in english yeah. and, and and skill is kind of more the meaning of the word today right uh, yeah. yeah, there are skilled people in in uh, masonry in the art of doing masonic work or you could probably call it you know gardeners could also be like a skilled mm. so i can see why craft ...goes from strength, power, ends up with skill and even virtue. In the Old Norse, kraptre, was that... How did you pronounce it? Kraptre. Kraptre, yeah. yeah. It did mean strength, but also virtue. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, in Old English, it became expanded to include also, you know, skill, dexterity, art, science, talent... So, yeah, Mm. trade, handicraft, etc.
0: Because we we see the same in the old halls, the ceremonial halls in, um, in Scandinavia. The hall at Borg in Lofoten, that was about 120 square meters. That was a hall where they used to have the weaving machines, spinning machines, and all sort of handicraft while they... People lived in other parts of the big hall, mm. and we see the same in the hall at Valhagar at Gotland, where there has been found a lot of holes of crafts uh, in that hall, which was used for the same purpose. Mm. There they have um, foundations for pillars in that hall, and I see that. We have the two pillars to tour the He Stolper, or high seed pillars mm-hmm. and also the three or four other pillars that is in every lodge today they have also been standing there and the archaeologists don't know what these fundaments in that place is for. Mm. I see. Hey, you said you had a text you wanted to read. Yeah, that is going back to to the Freya and the old origins of this. Mm-hmm. And um, there are many discoveries of bronze statues of mother goddesses from the Bronze Age, that is from 1800 to 500 BC. These are all of a this all are standing naked woman with a double branch ring around her neck. Double or single branch rings have been deposited in bogs as offering. offerings. This is regarded as offerings to the goddesses. To the goddess. mm. In the Iron Age, 500 BC to 500 AD, the goddess with a double neck ring seems to have dominated the Nordic cult life, the Danish archaeologist Peter Willem Glob said. In the Viking age, the goddess Freya had a golden necklace called Brisingamen. That means the shining shining jewel around her neck. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I see the same... um I think it's the saga of Eric the Red. They describe a volva in Greenland, mm. um, or said Kuna. Uh, I think it's a ritual they are describing, and they are saying many of the things on her neck. She had uh, no, on her head. She had a black hood of lamb skinned, uh, staff in her hand, um, girdle. Uh, uh, it's a belt. Yeah. Uh, and and if you go to, I mean, modern masonry is very 1700s in uniforms. Yeah. But if you look at the older traditions, they were uh, using ropes and these. Uh, is it called girdles? Singular, maybe. It's this kind of rope like the monks have around the the? Okay, in, instead of belt, yeah. You no, know, and a belt and a belt which is like a rope. Uh, so. Uh, but nowadays, masons use smokings, I guess, and, yeah. uh, well, not every mason, but uh, they use this very 1700s kind of, and they have this uh, forkla, what's that in, apron? Apron, e- apron yes. Apron, yeah. But uh, it's interesting, uh, calfskin, töffel, What are they Slipper. What is the
0: slipper made of? Does that matter, the material, or? Uh... I, I don't know what it's made of, but I think that it is a remnant of the old shoe made from the ox foot mm. that uh, the candidate, when he was initiated into his family in the old uh, Norwegian laws, like the Gulatinglov and law, he had a slipper on his foot one of his feet when he was initiated mm. and at that time first the oldest person or the most senior person should step into the foot and then the rest of his family in the lowering ranks and at last the young candidates step into this slip on one foot i mean
1: that's that's very similar <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, the gloves they used too. This one, this uh, uh, Volva, she had uh, also gloves of ermine skin, which were white. Yeah. And uh, in the, uh, some Freemasonic orders, like Le Droit Humain, the Co order that accepts women, they use robes and they use these. Uh, uh, I, I just don't remember the term, but it's like a rope, like the monks have. That kind of belt,
0: okay, like yeah. a rope.
1: Anyway, go on. Should we should we start looking at further specific similarities between the yeah. rituals of the Masons
0: and the Norse? Yes, we, we can. Um, we can do that. I can. Um, but we we saw the double ring around the neck of the candidate, and um, I think also that um, the. The the slipper that he gets on one foot is uh, from these old Norwegian laws Mm. that I mentioned. Mm -hmm. Um, When it comes to the apron, there is another uh, very old custom that when man or boy or a girl was to be initiated or adopted into the family, Mm -hmm. he was wrapped in skin, ox, ox skin and pulled out of the skin. Hmm. So that is a sort of uterus that he is dragged out from the uterus and into the family. He is reborn again. Hmm. And this skin, the Freemasons get on his waist. Right. So this is the symbol that he is born again. You have the same in India, where the people going through an initiation there is pulled out of a black antelope skin. Right, right. And he's born again. And, and the Norse used lamp skin, right? No, I think ox skin. Ox skin, okay. Because it is said in many what we call foreign sagas distant sagas that uh, comes from the migration period generally, that they used to slaughter a three-year-old ox-calf. Right. And he used of, often to be black.
1: Yeah, because uh, the from Eric the Red Saga, the reason I thought Lampskin is that uh, Volva, or the Seido uh, wife, she had a black hood of Lampskin. Yeah. Uh, but it's kind of similar. I guess they used whatever material they, they had at hand. Uh, what about symbolism? Do you find uh, commonalities in
0: symbols? Uh, yes, there are uh, what is called gullblikk is found all over Scandinavia. These are small golden symbols with a man being led by a woman. Mm. And uh, the archaeologist and others mean that this, this is a holy matrimony and she is kissing him or the other way around.
1: Sa- sacred uh, marriage, right. Sacred yep.
0: marriage. Yep. But I think that this must also be an initiation scene because um, I have seen that many of these are very distinct that the Freya is leading the candidate. She is holding, for instance, one... From them found in Denmark, where she, from Lundeborg on Funen in Denmark, she has a right grip on the candidate's hands, and she's leading him. Mm. And she has a big braid around the back from from her hair, and this is probably the symbol of the news that the candidate will get. Around his neck, or get
1: that, that you still have in Freemasonry, by the way. Yeah, yeah. that
0: we have it. Mm. So, this is the symbolism of the umbilical cord and the death to Freya. She was also the goddess that stood for uh, birth and for death, mm. and, and she guarded the family and held a hand over them. So, when Freya came, she came with a birth or with a death in the old times. Mm. And this is similar, very similar to what you find in Greece in the old Demeter religion and also in the Near East with the Inanna and and Ishtar religion. Mm. And especially the Ishtar uh, religion in in Babylon. Mm.
1: Interesting. So, what about um, the ductus, the dramaturgy of the ritual? Because if you analyze the three basic rituals, you will see that, uh, of masonry, you will see that there is a a story going on here, right? And it it is about life and death, and it is about man's uh, evolvement, so to speak. Do we find similar storylines in the uh,
0: Norse rituals? Uh. I think uh, that um, from the original, this has been different religions, so to speak. Mm. And the oldest one is probably to Freya and then it's uh, Thor and Odin later. I'm not quite sure about this, mm. but uh, uh, I think that there, the people in Scandinavia could have had different religions, Ida that we of Freya or Thor or Odin. Mm. There are found many so-called gold in graves in Scandinavia and in Northern Europe. There are nearly thousand of them, and uh, I mean that about 350 of these are for an initiation to Freya and they have been found in graves. And there are about 200 to 250 of other types that belong to the initiation to Odin and a similar number to initiation to Thor. And uh, there are also a group of gullbraktiat that is coming from the migration period, say 400 to 550, that... uh, belongs to the officials in the religion here. Mm.
1: What about the questions to the candidate? Are there any similarities even there?
0: Yeah. They tried, especially in the first degree, they tried to have him uh, sort of make his shortcomings to answer him different questions that are impossible to answer, actually. Mm. Um, in the York right...
1: Wait, wait, wait a minute. Impossible to answer? Do you mean like, like have you stopped beating your
0: wife? That kind yeah. of question? <laughs> yeah. Okay, I see what you it's, mean. It's not the same, but uh, very difficult uh, questions. <laughs> okay. Um, and um, for instance, in the, in the York right, they have now, they take everything... Metallic away from the candidate, like watches and rings and everything, before he comes into the right. Mm. But after, at the end of the meeting, they ask if he could can give a coin or something or metallic to the lodge that is now is initiated in. How, how can he when they have robbed him of all? Yeah, right. <laughs> of course, he can't do that, and no. he gets very embarrassed. Mm. But um, I think this is a, a later development, because in older times, you could not have iron or bronze or any metal when you were introduced in the religion. Therefore, <coughs> in Setestal, for instance, and other places, they only had to make the coffins out of wood. Metals was prohibited in um, in the old rites and in um, in death
1: why was that do you think
0: i don 't know okay i don 't know but
1: um, I mean metals are very much a sign of material of earth yeah right whereas if you 're going to leave the physical to go into the transcendental you ha- it could be a symbol of having to Lay behind you all the earthly, earthly stuff. Yeah. Just speculation here, but yeah. that kind of makes sense.
0: Yeah, right. Because in in very old times, very long back, they got their weapons with them in the in the grave. That's right. How how could they do that? Because that's
1: many of those had metals on them. Mm. Isn't that kind of going against the ritual uh, criteria?
0: Yeah. So, but after being accepted and each initiated in the Scandinavian Freemasonry, mm-hmm. it is said that the candidate gets his weapons back and he gets the sword.
1: Uh-huh. And he also gets a ring, doesn't
0: he? Well, that, that's eighth degree in, uh, in Norway. So you have to be okay. a Freemason for nearly 20 years before you get that ring.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm. That that varies between different kind of uh, Masonic orders, though. Yeah. Okay. Other other commonalities.
0: The, in uh, 2010, they discovered in Tranheim, um, just outside Trondheim, in Norway, what the archaeologists called a horg. And um, this was a, a big stone ring with a diameter of about 15 meters and about a meter high. Um, in the middle of this, there was a stone coffin mm. with a length of one meter and 30 and about one meter wide. And in there, there were burnt remains and burnt remains of people old bones wow. Wow. and underneath this the archaeologist said on the fertile soil there were even burnt bones probably from the ancestor of the farm and this was from the Bronze Age so this was the first farmer on this land and around the coffin there were two slate rings. And um, as a Freemason, this is very similar to what we have in the Freemasonry today, because in the middle of the lodge, there is the coffin standing. And yeah. the candidate is led by the conductor three times around the coffin. And I see this as the... A similar, the candidate in the Ranheim in the old times, he was led three times around on these slate rings, led by the conductor, and afterwards he made three steps over the grave with the remains of the ancestors. Hmm. Then he was led to the wall. There is a large wall here Freya's wall. Freya's wall. Mm-hmm. And at the biggest stone, the boulder there there has been fire mm. so then this is very similar to what happens in Freemasons today here the candidate is led three times around the coffin and then steps three times over the coffin and led to the altar the wall where he's initiated to Freya mm. what about the b- blood Mixing. Yeah, that's that's a separate right that is done in the Scandinavian Freemasonry. Uh, but but it's still in the Freya first degree, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm. I, I think that uh, there have been different traditions in the uh, in the Freemasonry, like there are different what shall say different dialects of the language. Mm. People living in Trøndelag have different rights and language from the one on the West Coast and the one in Sweden, for instance. Mm. And some have blood initiations and others have a leading to the mur and then initiated without the bloodletting. Okay. Mm. But the bloodletting is also found in... Uh, In the old sagas where two brothers and two svogers and and family were initiated under the ground and they cut each other and let the blood pour into the soil and then mixed the soil and the blood and then they were initiated to, it doesn't say to what, but they should stick together for the rest of their lives. Mm. okay
1: interesting I think you mentioned it but uh, you know the underworld is uh, also yeah. aspect of the candidates journey in the initiation do we find that in the north too
0: yeah uh, the rights in freemasonry they are say about two hours duration but in the old times, in when they had outdoor rights they lasted for two or three days, I think. Wow. And uh, uh, then they had much more time. And when the candidates, say, comes to their ancestors, they actually go underground, as, as it was. Like this story from Saxo Grammaticus, when he wrote about King Haddin's, Hadding's journey to the underworld. There, the Frey, Freya was underground, and he went underground to meet her also, also and that means an initiation to Freya in the underground, in the underworld. Mm. So, um, this has the same, some of the same meanings as we find with Demeter, in, uh, in Greece and uh, in the Near East with uh, Ishtar and uh, Inanna. But I also think that this is uh, the very, very old right in Europe that has been for tens of thousands of years.
1: Mm. Obviously, many people think about Freemasonic rituals they think about stuff like handshakes uh, secret uh, signs you give each other um, and then you have the oath that they are so criticized for Um, is even these things because uh, I mean there's not much left in Masonry that cannot be found in Norse when I listen to you today and I see your book. Yeah. But what about these things? One would think these are modern additions, but can even these things be traced back? Yeah. Handshakes, secret passwords, and the punishment for betrayal?
0: Yeah, uh, it can be because um, it the punishment for betrayal is um, also in the old Norse religion. Wow. So that is the threefold death that they write about. And the threefold death is described in detail what happens to a person if he breaks the laws and the rules here. So, and then you see in the York rites, Odin has a three, threefold death, and the same is in Freya and in uh, Thor's right. But in the Scandinavian Freemasonry, they are all sourced together in one and belonging yeah. only to the first degree. First degree. So yeah. that has mm. been a change. But if you see and read the threat in the York light, you find there, for instance, in the second degree, you find the, what old Norse um, manuscript or old Norse uh, writings called the death to Odin.
1: Mm.
0: so uh, it's very similar
1: where does the secret handshake come from then have you found that
0: no I I haven't found that but it's uh, probably uh, the the same in the same story There, there is a handshake no there is a sign in the second degree in Freemasonry also in the Duncan's Ritual where The two brothers will make signs to each other and uh, join together. This sign is very similar to a sign of the twins, that is the twin gods, that is on on describing the um, Gemini sign that is in a star sign uh, made in the 1500s. So I think that um, this also shows that uh, the origin of the to right or third degree in Freemasonry was originally belonging to the twin gods. Hmm. But that uh, second god uh, disappeared and it was only the thunder god back. Okay, over the years. But um, you mentioned
1: Gotland. Yeah. Uh didn't you find a statue uh, it's not the handshake but it's at least some of the ha- hand signs on the north statue kvinnen fra øya hva sa de kvinner fra øya på gotland gotland Gard. oh yes
0: um which page is that uh, 134
1: it's in the york right i
0: think yeah ja. Uh, that, that is uh, the first degree in the Freemasonry, in the York Rite. They have a sign. And this sign is very similar to women from uh, Gotland, Øa på Gotland. She, the word is due guard in Freemasonry. Mm. And she makes just the same sign, as the Freemason in New York right as
1: and she, and she even has the leather apron.
0: Yeah, she has a leather apron, apron, and uh, I try to find out what this means. And, uh, it yeah, because the 1,200 years between them. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And um, there, um, this can be the, what is it, uh, pass, vinkel og passeraken, uh, the, um, What's that in English?
1: Yeah, uh, so it's the...
0: Passer uh, Yeah,
1: uh, that's important. Compass. Yeah. And uh, the, I mean, these are the, if anything is Masonic symbols, it's this. <laughs> so... The other one is called uh, square
0: angle. Yeah, Yeah. right. Square on the compass. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: And I mean, square and the compass is a very, very old sign that uh, probably comes from the Stone Age. And there, the compass is a, say, the female uterus. And um, Compass is the male penis. Yeah, even the
1: Da Vinci Code uh, featured that uh, interpretation. Okay, well they used it for the uh, for the Grail, you know. Okay. The Grail uh, is the V, right? The V, which is the uterus, which is the Grail, yeah. which is the angle square.
0: Yeah. And um, this this is also rune. And uh, you find that on the rune and also in the old signs. Oh,
1: it's a rune. It's a rune that looks like the
0: square. Yeah. And if if you put these two together, you get what we call ruter, the diamond in uh, English. And this is the sign of frøy. That's the male god. Ah, right. And you, you find the same signs. In the signs that Maria Gimbutas has found from the Stone Age, she in in one of her books has made a listing of about hundred signs or letters that has been used in the old times, and uh, this uh, probably stems from this side. And this has I mean that this has later been the runes. That in the rune alphabet and the rune writing. Mm.
1: Mm. What about uh, the letter G? I don't suppose that is something. I mean, that's Latin alphabet.
0: That, that's Latin, and uh, it is supposed to stand for God. Uh, the, not, the, the, not the grand architect? Uh, G, grand? Uh, uh, Yeah, the grand architect in Freemasonry, is the god in the second degree, and that is Odin. Right. And Odins rune was the... Where is that? And Odins rune is a similar sign. You find that on the... Just a minute. Odins rune is called ansus. That is os in Norwegian, meaning god. Mm. And this is a, a sign a vertical sign with two strikes on the, on the side. The oldest Freemason that I know of is a figure called Frøyshovmannen. He is found at the farm Frøyshov near Glomma outside Oslo. And he's 1900 years old. He has an apron on him with the three signs. The sign of Odin, that's the Runa Ansus, meaning Os in Norwegian, meaning God. Mm. Then there is the sign of Thor, that's the saltire of the diagonal cross, like the shape of the letter X. Yeah. But the third sign on this, his apron, is a small figure with a noose around his neck, and that is belonging to. Mm. In my uh, mind. That means that at that time, the the man that this small figure belonged to, he had third degree in Freemasonry. Because he was initiated to Freya, to Odin and to Thor. Mm. And he is 1900 years old. Wow. Right. But look, if we came from
1: the east to the west, could the references in masonry about the light coming from the east be a reference to the path we made, like, or, or like pointing home? And I think in the third degree, there's the journey from the west to the east, which is actually the opposite of what <laughs> our ancestor did. Yeah. Do you see any? What's the meaning here? How, how do we square this?
0: I think that this is the fertile winds that blows in Europe from the Atlantic. That is because of the rotation of the the earth, the wind, the general direction of the winds and and the the rain comes from the west. So that is a journey from west to the east. Because wind... No, the wind brought the rain with it yeah. and it it was a, let me say a blessing for the fields and for the animals and for the people to have the rain except
1: if you're from where I'm from then it's a curse
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> too much of a good thing then. You- in Bergen, you, on the west
1: coast, you get too yeah, much of it. Yeah, we, but we, you know, Vastavin. we say, the western wind. Everybody knows it. Yeah. The, the reason it's raining more in my hometown, Bergen, than many other places in Norway, is that when the west wind comes with all the rain, it crashes with the mountains because we are like a mountainous area. So they, they drain themselves, the, the clouds do, and then they move on. so they they flush us with their worst burden (laughs) and then they go to you
0: guys in the east (laughs) and the more east you go in Scandinavia the less rain they get Finland has has much less rain than uh, Norway for instance and the same when you move into Russia
1: Mm.
0: right what about
1: swastika does that have any place here? No. I mean, let's just clear one thing immediately at the outset. The swastika was seized upon by the Nazis. Yeah. But it's one of the oldest symbols in the world, and you find it all over the world. It, it cannot be claimed to be specifically Norse, though, because you see versions of it all over the world, and it's super old. But um, does that have any place here?
0: Yeah, I mean... Uh, It has been found in Ukraine and all over Europe and as far back as India, where there is a sign in the religion there. I mean that this is a sign that belonged to the twin gods. Because if you see the twin gods, each of them in some um, traditions had double axe. Mm. Double axe, you see that very... Similar in Greece, old Greece, in um, in Krita, Crete, for instance. And you also find that in other places. and um, Scottish flag? Yeah, that is um, the saltire.
1: Mm.
0: But uh, if you if, if, go back to the swastika, then those are four hammers. If you oh, put the hammers to, together... Right then you have the two hammers to the right and two hammers to the left that if these hammers are off center then you get a swastika
1: right, and I just realized another thing, masons used hammers Yes. Mm-hmm. so why wouldn't they you know, why wouldn't Thor be uh, held in high regard for them,
0: yeah. <laughs> he's got the best hammer of them all <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they had hammer or they had a club, or they had a, um, for instance, the hammer of Heracles in uh, in old Greece. They had his club had four knobs on it, right? And I mean that is four strikes, and this strikes is uh, is connected with the god of thunder. That is two from the biggest and two from the smallest of the twin gods, mm. and this is uh, connected to the pillars. And they have found on old, the, they have found pillars in Danish moors put in as an offer to the gods. Two pillars. Yeah, but when and, we
1: speak, look, the the pillars, Jackin and Boris, are some of the most well-known Freemasonic symbols. Uh, and, and now they have names from the Bible. But as you, uh, in part one, you said that they have found in, in Vos uh, fragments of those pillars. Are, are there other associations to these two pillars in Norse?
0: Yes. Uh, let me just have a look here at... Um, on In the Bronze Age, there were Pictures of persons or gods, going with or bringing high stakes or pillars, and on the top of this there were axes, mm. and they had fo- found ceremoni- ceremonial axes made of bronze, um, especially many in Sweden that are very similar to the what they have found in this on this um, Bronze Age pictures so um, this was ceremony and the reason for this was probably to bring the thunder and so and thus the rain from mm. the heaven down to the earth uh,
1: plus, plus the light uh, I'm assuming I, I mean this means that Jacob and Boaz is castor and Pollux which is Thor and Loki Yeah.
0: and I mean that uh, the dark and light yeah I mean that the pillars in the Old Testament belonging to Solomon is a remnant from the old Indo-European religion. Mm. I'm dealing with that in my second or third book.
1: Right, right. Yeah, because, I mean, there's many similarities. You mentioned uh, the fact of cremation, which is associated to the Hindus, but the Norse did it too, and yeah. Uh, just for those who doesn't know, it's mainstream that Indian people, at least many tribes in India, came from the same source that the Norse tribes. One went east to India, another west uh, yeah. to Scandinavia. And, and the south. Uh, and, and south. But uh, you find many similarities in the N- Norse and the Hindu religions too.
0: Yeah. And this Which is this, well
1: known. I mean, that's, that's not a matter of contention. That's mainstream. So, yeah.
0: The, this is also uh, a part of the language that we speak now. We call this Indo-European language. And uh, German, Scandinavian and Germanic languages is one of the 11 main branches of this. Yeah and uh, so the the people here they also went to india and uh, with their language and order of society and religion of course
1: you speak of a Norse um, ah what's it called in english T- treenhet det på trinity yeah you speak of a Norse trinity is does that have anything with uh, jubila jubilo and jubillum
0: um Which we know
1: from Masonry, of course.
0: Yeah, when when the rites were transformed, I mean in England in the 1920s, they had to change the the ritual somewhat. And um, I think that these three scoundrels in Freemasonry got the names from the gods of thunder in the Sami or Finnish language or the language even further because the god of thunder called Jubela in this language or Jumala Mm. and it's the same, probably the same as these three villains in Freemasonry. It was introduced then.
1: Mm. But what about the Trinity?
0: Because... Um, if, you, if you go, then we can ask, what was their original? And before these three scoundrels came into Freemasonry, we find the story, similar story, in Snorri's description of the fin that, or the uh, giant Jotun that was going to build the Big wall around Osgor. That is the god, the... Home of the gods. Home of the gods. Mm. And he was supposed to build this wall in one year, and he started out, and he nearly made it, but for one day or just some hours. And then they discovered that he was a giant, and the gods would not let him. Finished the wall, so they called on Thor, and he came and smashed the head of the giant. Mm. These and similar songs or legends you find all over Scandinavia, and it is connected to building of the churches. You have that in Heddal Stavkirke in in um, in Norway. Where is it? Where is uh, Stave Church? Stave Church, yes. And you have that all over, that is same or similar stories. And this has probably been the original story in the original Freemasonry before these three gods, or three, the three villains, Jubla, Jubilum, and Jubilum, Jubilum came into Freemasonry.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, are there other important similarities that we haven't mentioned, that we should mention before we move over to the practical part. Okay. I mean, you've been <laughs> like a machine gun. You've given <laughs> point after point after point. But what about the working carpet? Is that significant?
0: Do you have something on that? Yes. Uh, going back to the guide that we found on Gotland, that big hall. There is earth or soil ground in that hole, and um, in the center between the four pillars, there was a big white stone. And uh, just to the east of that stone, there was a field which is um, covered about five centimeters thick with burnt bone in that area. Mm. So I think that when they had rituals with initiation, they went to the many graves that lay outside. There were 18 or 16 graves that has been robbed, as the archaeologists call this. They went into the graves and stole the bones.
1: Mm.
0: And the bones, they laid up, made a fire on this, and afterwards they pushed the bones into this field, between the pillars. Mm. This is exactly the place where the um, Arbeidsteppe, what did you call that? Well, I just no.
1: call it uh, working carpet, but that's probably not the right, uh, it's no. not the term in English. The working yeah.
0: car- this is the where the working carpet I- is in the lodges today. And in the center of this, in Scandinavia, there is a three by three small field, that has some geometric figures. I mean, these figures are the remnants of the bones that they used to have there. So I think originally, going back to Valhagar, they pushed the bones to the on the floor. Then they probably had a black ox skin in that place. And then they pushed the stones, the bones, into the black ox skin, and later, they just had this, instead of real bones, they this, they draw these bones on the carpet. Mm. And we find this on the, I think it was the Orkneun saga, where this aside where the one of the, he wanted to see how his friends were killed. And he made a frame, as it was called, which was covered with um, probably a black ox skin, and he carried that into the hall. And he said, and this side made him see what happened to his friends. And this is probably the description. This is very similar to the description of the working carpet, as we call it today.
1: Mm -hmm. Just to remind people, Seid is the Norse word for kind of magic that was uh, practiced by them. But speaking of magic, uh, Odin got the runes because he wanted his tribe also to have a magical, uh, you know, hieroglyph, holy writing. Now, one would assume that some of the runes would survive into Masonic lore or Masonic symbolism. Have you found, I, I think you mentioned actually the the Freya symbol, which is uh, uh, which ended up as the square. Do we have other indications of Rune surviving? Yeah. Um,
0: there are, in, in these old times, um, there have found a lot of graves or stone cysts containing the remains of their forefathers. Then there are inscriptions either on the bones or on the side of the of the stone cists. And these are inscriptions with rune stones. We also find that in Freemasonry, now the runes have been uh, uh, replaced by Hebraic uh, letters. Mm. So... Um, Good point. Now it's, it's, um, it's science or writing on the coffin, not with runes, but with... Um, what do you call it, Hebraic letters. Yeah,
1: yeah, and, and that makes sense because Hebraic letters are also a hieroglyph, a holy scripture. What distinguishes ancient holy alphabets, uh, Sanskrit is one, and even Greek from modern, is that those ancient alphabets were multifunctional. Yeah. They were not just tools to write and communicate meaning, but they were also images of course they were magical symbols there were sounds there were vibrations there were intentions I mean they had multifunctions and the same is true for the Hebrew we see that I mean the whole Kabbalah or or actually the part of Kabbalah called uh, Gematria and we have the same in Norse in the runes Uh, one can use the runes for example which is very famous of course for divination you know, prediction. Yeah, yeah. So, it makes sense that if they are going to keep that function of the runes as a sacred letters, that they would then uh, apply Hebrew because that would be accepted because it would be within the Judeo-Christian uh, traditions. So, yeah. so, that's a good point. And I, I, I'm thinking it's so ironic that when the Nazis came to power, of course, we know the Nazis were very romantic in that they wanted to bring back the Norse religion, and how ironic that they were attacking Freemasons. Yeah. Even today, many right-wing extremists hate Freemasonry because they look at it as some kind of Jewish conspiracy. Now, how ironic <laughs> that you yeah. know, prove that it's actually N- Norse. It's actually a Viking impulse that they have. And and by the way, the Nazis themselves imitated Freemasonry. Yes, they crushed down on Freemasonry, yeah. but they put up their own version of it. What else is SS? Hmm. Yeah. The ritual aspect of SS is nothing more than a than a reflection, a kind of a dark mirror of of Freemasonry. Yeah. So, um, how, how ironic.
0: And, and I also think that um, the initiation ceremonies that they had to the SS in Wewelsburg Castle in uh, Germany, mm-hmm. that was, uh, some of this was adopted from Freemasonry. That's a oh, yeah. theory that I have.
1: Yeah, well, I don't think you can claim that theory because we know that Himmler When he and his fellows systematized, I mean, they were creating this, uh, they were, the very reason they were hunting down esoteric groups and shutting them down. I mean, in the beginning, before the Nazis got complete power, many occult groups were supporting them. Not all, not even half, but many. And many Nazis had backgrounds from different occult groups. We know this, like Thule Society, Liszt uh, Soci- uh, Federation, and so on and so forth. And so when uh, they finally became to power, Hitler pressured Himmler, actually. He said, we don't want competition. No. And so not only did they seize the material, like the Vatican, like, you know, the Vatican, yes, they burned all this stuff, but not without ensuring securing copies for themselves you know that couldn't be shared no, I know. Nazis did the same they had copies of everything so they researched esoteric traditions and uh, not just masons but also masons and yes they worked in uh, they tried to find what is the most ancient stuff what which is the most common stuff here uh, and which is which is in, in line with our philosophy, and bam, they use this. Yeah. So yeah, they would obviously also use elements from masonry. But since we are focusing on just the first three degrees, because the rest is, is other
0: stuff, why are the
1: those degrees called blue
0: degrees? That uh, is probably because... Um They have blue ribbons um, around the neck. All the officials in this um, have have blue ribbon. And uh, in the old times, blue was the most expensive color and the most difficult color to make. Mm. So it was a sort of uh, exclusivity with the color blue. That the that the officials in the Freemasonry had on, yeah, on that
1: yeah that makes that makes very much sense okay uh, we've been going for a while I think we should go with the practical stuff okay do you think we've've we've done a decent job of uh, covering the basics okay yes mm. Mm. okay so my first question to you is, how many years did you spend on researching and writing this? Uh, because this book, I have to tell people, it's over 300 pages, and I have the hardcover, so it's not like, uh, I mean, if it's a small, sm- if it comes out in a soft cover, it's going to be more than 300. Okay. But no. it's a monumental work. We have just scratched the surface. And by the way, this isn't just uh, Arvid dreaming up a hypothesis. Like you heard now, especially in part two, he... Can document details and there's pictures in this book, there's references, there's a huge bibliography, there are many beautiful images and symbols and uh, uh, substantiations you've done it's almost uh, yeah, well it could be an academic work this thing, Thank although you. it's very easy to read so you don't have to be a scholar to read it but you've done very thorough work I have to say and uh, so I'm just thinking this must ha- you must have spent a lot of time doing this.
0: Yeah, I started this uh, when I went into retirement and I used uh, six or seven years o- on this. A full cycle. So, <laughs> yeah. hmm. You know, God, so God I,
1: created I, the world in six days and he rested on the seventh.
0: But for, for me, this has been a fantastic journey. And uh, this is also a discovery for me and you uh, insight into this very, very old uh, religion and culture that our ancestors had. So if I can just say uh, something, I the Freemasons in Norway, they didn't like it.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, but before you say... Yeah, okay. Uh, I'm going to ask you about that, but just why, why do you have knowledge? And a, It's obvious that you have a love for our roots. Is this something you've had as an interest in? all the time, or, or did this interest start when you started to research? Talk about the Norse part of your interest. Yeah,
0: well, uh, interest. Uh, it was the, um, what my father told me, uh, of course, but I've always yeah. been interested in history. Mm. As a youth, I knew uh, by heart all the Roman emperors from ancient times and I studied Roman Empire, the Eastern Empire. I studied Egypt. I studied religion in wow. in um, in Europe and uh, lots of things. <laughs> you chose you chose the wrong line of work, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my my cousin told me that she, I should have done something uh, completely different. But I find that this uh, extremely interesting. Yeah, and. Um,
1: I I knew you had this interest, you know why? No. Because I googled you before I invited you on and I found that you had some extremely interesting questions uh, which wasn't about the Norse, so obviously you have history, like like for example you asked the dictionary, uh, the Norwegian dictionary about the Japanese emperor who is consummating some kind of sacred uh, r- ritual sexual act during a specific star alignment or something
0: like that did, did you, you, know you what find I, that on google
1: hmm. i managed to google i'm very good at uh, i'm a, like a detective when it comes to okay. Uh, okay. vacuum hmm. internet so yeah i found uh, those things <laughs> from you there. that is
0: very interesting yeah. Very interesting. <laughs> well you, you if you want to
1: mention it, we have time. <laughs> yeah. it, it's irrelevant to this, but it's it's like a little morsel of a piece of factoid. Mm. Mm. You you wanna mention it briefly before we move on?
0: Uh well I yeah, I can I think it was the twenty nineteen, the new Japanese emperor. Uh was it the 4th, 14th of November? I'm not quite sure. I he went into a new built temple in Tokyo. And uh, here he went into the staff and he went in there to be initiated to the sun goddess. And uh, there was a lot of speculation what would he do with the sun goddess? Would he have
1: uh, intercourse.
0: intercourse with her or what would happen? This temple cost nearly two hundred million kroners, and the whole ceremony costed the Japanese taxpayers two hundred fifty million kroners.
1: Let's just translate that. That's uh, it's almost two hundred. Yeah, uh, so twenty
0: million. One dollar. Twenty million pounds. No.
1: Yeah, eight kroner is one dollar. Just so people get an idea.
0: And uh, why was this happening? On the fourteenth of November, and uh, then I remembered what I found in old Mesopotamia. It's saying that when a new king was to be initiated, then the king's symbol at that time was the crook, the hook. That was a symbol of the. Yet, um, what's that? Ah, a uh, shepherd. Chap- yeah, Chapel, when he... Sat- no, no, she- shepherd. She- shepherd, yes. Yeah, when yeah. he sat there with his goats or sheep on his lap, holding the crooked staff, that was a symbol of the kings. Because they were supposed to be a model after this heavenly shepherd. Mm. And this is the stars shine crook that is no now called something else I think it was is a hook and it comes up uh, after the Taurus symbol on the heaven so I looked into the star back to Tokyo now and and in uh, back to um, back to Babylon and it says that if the crook that's a hook that the staff of the king is light or shining that will be good for the kingdom. But if the star and but if the Uek, Kruk, Kruk staff is dark, that will be very bad for the kingdom. That mm. f- the lighting is good. Mm. And I looked into the star heaven over Tokyo at that time. I think it was the 14th of November. And at five minutes to six, the full moon that was full two days before, it went over the sky of Tokyo and it entered into the old crux sign. Mm. So at that night, it passed through the staff of the shepherd. And I think, could this be a coincidence? Mm. Or what is this? But this seems to me to be a very similar symbol that they had in old Mesopotamia uh, 4,000 years back.
1: And I have to say, the the, the fact that the Kaiser, the, the, not the Kaiser, the, the uh, what's it in English, emperor yeah. was having sex with this uh, woman, a virgin, I don't know if she's a virgin or whatever, is not something you took out of thin air. It's been rumors in Japan. yeah for the longest time that that's what's going on. And people were uh, outraged that they were using taxpayer money for him to have this ritual, consummate this sacred marriage kind of thing, this ritual sexual act
0: (laughs) today. but I I read this as he made, he was a holy matrimony with the sun goddess that they have used, that... uh, it was the case with kings for thousands of years back
1: yeah I mean even in ancient Europe you had uh, temple prostitutes or what we should call them um,
0: yeah I don't know how much prostitutes that was but uh, no,
1: no, no not prostitutes at all um, but they we, they say it today but they were no they were holy they were sacred they, they were representing the goddesses and fertility and all that stuff yeah. so uh, yeah Let's not deregulatory them. No. I also have to say about Seder, that it has a potential, I think Siddhi in India is the same word. Siddhi is the occult powers. Okay. And so just so people understand what Seder is, it has to do with more, you know, Tolkien. He, he was inspired by Norse religion. So when he made Gandalf, the figure Gandalf, yeah. you could say he has a druid kind of, arch type but just as much a cider kind of arch type uh, just so people know that but now let's talk about the cost because obviously uh, how old are you today you are in your 70s right? No, I'm I'm seventy 78. Wow 78 and you're so clear in thinking and speaking and kudos I'm assuming you're
0: in good health right? Yes I am no. great so, so, so I- sorry yeah I I play tennis, but uh, now it's everything is closed because of the yeah. uh, Corona situation, of course. So uh, my nearly only exercise is skiing and uh, walking the dog. Right, right, right. Both decent kind of exercises.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you you know they say about Norwegians we're born with skis on our feet, so that explains a lot. But. How old were you when you joined the uh, Masonic, when you became initiated into Masonry? I,
0: I think I was 42. So, oh, okay. So okay. it's um, oh, nearly 40, 38 years or so.
1: I was imagining you were in your 20s. But anyway, 40 years, which is a lot in the Free Masonic Lodge. I assume you went all the way to the top of the uh, Swedish
0: system. Yeah, I had the 10th degree. So, so um, there is an honourable degree in the in the eleventh, and the twelfth is the one belonging to the grandmasters.
1: Isn't there a secret thirteenth degree too?
0: That's the king of Sweden. Oh, okay. But uh, the Norwegians, uh, Freemasons, don't talk about that. (laughs) No, no,
1: we don't want to recognize that, of course. And by the way, I I don't like the king of Sweden. Uh, They should replace him with our king. He's much more folksy. (laughs) But anyway, so 40 years, obviously lots of love for you, lots of your life going into this. And then... The sacrifice, the cost for you to publish this book—you can talk about that now.
0: Yeah. Um, the the Freemasons didn't like it. I brought it to the Grand Master and the uh, Worship. You mean him. the
1: you mean the manuscript before you published? No, no
0: the, the the book after it was printed. Oh, okay. So I tried to get. Um, I didn't ask for permission. Because I knew that I wouldn't get that.
1: Better to get for forgiveness than for, permission, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, I tried to get forgiveness, but I didn't get that either. So they kicked me out.
1: So so what was the rationale for kicking you out?
0: I, I had broken the laws of the Freemasonry. Which laws? Which laws? Um, that I should uh, not uh, publish things uh, in Freemasonry. But you you never
1: published anything they gave you, did you? No, no. There's nothing. I mean, are they not aware that within uh, 30 seconds I can look up any Freemasonic rights, not just the uh, Blue Degrees, but any rights whatsoever you know, online? I, I know. Are they not aware? Or buy books yeah. where all the rights are disclosed? Are they not
0: aware of this? Uh, yeah, might be. I try to, to tell them that. And I used uh, mainly uh, the Duncan's Ritual from 1866. And uh, it is also on the net, And I also use other written sources, but I put it together in a new, let's say, setting and understanding. And I told them that this is the first uh, real explanation of what is going on in Freemasonry in the first three degrees. Mm. And uh, now, I mean, this is the only viable explanation what is happening here. And uh, I thought that um, this would be of interest for them. Yeah. And because I I found that this is so important to Freemasons, but also for the rest of the cultural interested people, that they should know that the old rites from Europe and Scandinavia, they are not dead, but they are still continuing under a different name and in secret. Yeah. So um, I pointed to what is written in our rituals and that every freemason learns on the his night at at accept, when he's accepted that the freemason's conviction and conscience take precedence over the order's commandments and rules. Mm. So but they they didn't uh, listen to that.
1: No, you know what? My hypothesis is that call it a conspiracy theory if you like. Okay, I think what really annoyed them was the fact that you disclosed the Norse connections because there's. No secret that there's a lot of Christian people in in uh, Norwegian Freemasonic order, which is like I say, it's a separate order from uh, the American, and it's also a separate one from the the English and and French and German for that matter. Although of course all these countries have different free. Yeah. Many people think Freemasonry is one thing. No, I can count hundreds of Freemasonic orders actually, and. Among those hundreds of Freemasonic orders, there are not hundreds of different rites and and lore, but there are still many, many different rites and lore. So it's not just one thing. But here in Norway, the Swedish system, as it's called, very much... There's even priests. So I think that is probably what hurt them the most, because they are not... As enthusiastic about the Norse, they look down upon it like some kind of primitive evil, I don't know, like full of bias.
0: And there there is one condition that uh, has to be fulfilled before, if you want to be a Freemason in Norway or Scandinavia Mm -hmm. in the Swedish system, Mm -hmm. and that is that you are a Christian. Yeah. And I know that uh, down in the Freemasonry in Oslo, there was a priest, a prost, prost as we call him.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He's a high um, clergyman. He wrote a document attacking me and my ignorance. Right. So it was very little. And it, this was published, so I got it. I saw it, and I have a copy of it. So he attacked me personally and about my ignorance, so, what uh, is the way to do in in the Christian way? In psychology, that's called projection. Yeah. <laughs> if
1: anyone is ignorant here, it's him. But, but <laughs> I
0: must also say that I am a honorary member of an Italian lodge in Torino in Memphis, Mies, Memphis, Miserim? Pardon?
1: Is it Memphis misraim
0: no, it's um, a Italian oh, oh, what is it called um, um, philosophical right.
1: Okay. Okay. And mm. it's
0: called Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart Lodge in Turin, in Turin, in uh, Italy, northern Italy. Mm. And uh, I've been to a meeting there. They have very interesting lodge where they try have taking a lot of the old culture from Italy and Greece into. The lodge, and it's very interesting. And there they have v- female women as officiant and members. Mm. Very interesting.
1: Yeah, I wonder. Um, are, are you aware of the Freemasonic order called uh, Memphis Masonry?
0: Yeah, I've heard the name, yes, yeah.
1: but uh, I don't think this is the same. Well, in, in this field, the Freemasonic ma- order. Something called le droit to mine, which is actually the oldest genuine system of Freemasonry accepting women french yes mm. um, i mean there 's many Freemasonic orders accepting women equally with men, but there 's only one which is genuine meaning it's um, it 's it's not just uh, someone who came together and started an order just to get women in it 's always been there is from France, of course, where Masonry is much more chaotic and <laughs> yeah. autonomous. Do you know them? It's also called cove masonry.
0: Yeah. Yes. I have seen from Wikipedia there are about 140,000 Freemasons in France, yeah. and about 30,000 of them are women.
1: Yeah, but but, but uh, Le Droit to mine is all over the world, big in Iceland. In Norway, they are not in Oslo. They are in Bergen, Trondheim, and Stavanger. Okay. But, uh, if I could choose a Masonic order from the top shelf, like freely, I would go for the Polar Star. But, of course, the Polar Star doesn't exist anymore. It was crushed after, I mean, after World War II, the Norske Orden gobbled it up. Yeah. Of course, they were competitors, right? So it was what we call a hostile or maybe a friendly takeover.
0: <laughs> they, they had their roots in the I think, in, in, Trondheim. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. According
1: to Dr. Professor Jocelyn Goodwin, one of the top esoteric scholars in the world. And you know, academics, they are. Very, you probably experienced that with your book too. They're very skeptical to claims of old age, right? But, yeah. but Goodwin actually said that he, he's he been onto, he's the only scholar I've seen who's managed to track down the only Western, not, not all over the world, but Western esoteric order that can trace the, uh, lineage back to antiquity yeah okay so um, but of course the only way to ex- ac- to to survive like that is to be extremely small scattered autonomic decentralized and under the radar not like a big group like like freemasons and stuff so but they are it's very popular among uh, some smaller freemasonic orders who are more you know the, the big ones, let's be honest, the big ones are full of people who have no idea about what Freemasonry is, their history, their tradition. They, they're not even that interested. They have other motives for joining either. Uh, like, oh, I want to, like, camaraderie, as we say in Norwegian, like fraternize with... With the higher middle class, or not necessarily sinners, just okay, my family, my father, my grandfather was or my neighbors or my colleagues. So they have all sorts of social and, you know, secondary yeah, yeah. reasons for joining. But even in the, those big Freemasonic orders like UGLE in England or Ancients Accepted in, in America or, or, or DNFO, as we call the Norwegian one, even in these big ones, there are A minority which are passionate about, like you, you are one of them who are passionate about the actual, not just the actual history, but also the actual spirituality behind it. And those people, I'm sure, would love your work, and they're probably not even aware of it, but hopefully we've made that kind of mason, the real mason, aware of it, no matter which lord uh, order they belong to <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. and unfortunately uh, your book is not yet available in English uh, no. that's, the, that's the bad news people that this book so far is only available in Norwegian because, you know, in Iceland, people today are, you know, they were Christian, yes, but they have managed to keep that. Tra- I know Icelandic people personally, and many people are still uh, having a close relation to their traditions, and they don't even see a conflict between, for example, Christianity and their own Norse roots. They are much more eclectic and flexible, and I am bet if you get this book out in English... Icelanders will love this book.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I can't hear you. Oh, you hear me? No. Uh, can you hear me now?
1: Yeah. Okay. Yes. So you didn't hear anything?
0: No. No. I, no not I, the
1: start. I heard. Yes. Okay. So I was just saying, in Iceland, they never really banished their traditions. They have been good at maintaining their traditions and. Uh, Now it has a revival, by the way, but their view is that there's no, and I know Icelanders, uh, spiritual people, esotericians, Masonic people, and many of them, they don't see a conflict between, for example, Christianity and ancient Norse. They are eclectic. (gasps) It's easy for them to figure out that these things go together, and they had to, right, because otherwise... Uh, They would be invaded by Norway after we became Christians. So they've learned to live with these things side by side. So if you get your book out in English, I'm sure Icelanders will love this book.
0: Okay, yeah. I I can mention that there was an um, Icelandic Freemason who wrote a chapter to the English Research Lodge. Uh, when he compared the moral and ethics in Hovamol, that is the heist tale, directly translated, that is Odin's tales,
1: mm.
0: and moral and ethics in Freemasonry. And he found a lot of similarities between these two rituals.
1: Right, right.
0: So And he um, quoted my book then, and uh, I got... Uh, a Freemasonry, um, a phone call from a Freemason friend, and he was very angry that they allowed him to write about this and me being kicked out.
1: Right. Yeah, that's hypocrisy. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. is mol. What about other uh, Norse scriptures like Drømkvede or... Yeah, uh, you also have uh, what's it called? I think
0: I think Drunkve is uh, from the 1300s, and uh, there are a lot more of Christianity in uh, in Drunkve. but uh, there are other Voluspo. Um, yeah, Voluspo ja, is very central, and here you find also many interesting things regarding the religion. Um, there is also others uh, like Hundliud. And a script from the Middle Ages where there is a description about Freya, the goddess. She tells here that the king's son, Uttar made her a lad. And a lad is a mur, a small wall made of stones. Mm. And he started to, he cultivated female goddesses. And he made an initiation to her, it is said in this uh, in this uh, poem so there are traces many times many places in the Old Norse literature Mm. Right but
1: um, your book, it should really be translated to English, do you have any plans to do that?
0: I have tried, I have an agent in London, nothing has happened And uh, I have tried uh, for a long time, but nothing uh, happens actually. So I would like to have it translated. But uh, I I have been concentrated on the work, on the book number two now, uh, since I came with the first book. And I think that this book will also be very interested and uh, hopefully translated into English. And um, then I will go for this uh, a translation of the first book in, into English. If not, I will do it myself mm, mm, and publish it myself. Right. But um, uh, I'll, I'll take one thing at a time.
1: Yeah, and that you plan to do that in English too, or?
0: Yes, I, I, mm. I write in Norwegian because it's more natural for me instead of writing some uh, bad English. Yeah, okay. So uh, I I stick to the Norwegian and hope to have it translated uh, into English afterwards. Yeah, but,
1: but, first off, uh, I have here a website open, and I'm going to promote this website, because it's it's your website. Okay. Yeah, so, okay, could you give us the address of your website?
0: Yeah, it's frimurerne.no. Yeah, let
1: me spell it for people. F R I M U R E R N. That's N for Norway, and E. Dot N, O. So if you go there, you have a few pages in English at least that give some kind of uh, summing up of uh, your work, like a like a teaser or whatever you call it. Sammendrag. What's that in English? Sammendrag.
0: That's a resume of the three main, the, the three original degrees how I see it, so... um, Yeah,
1: plus you have a little piece on the history, too, called Freemasons' Roots on the British Isles. Yeah. Yeah. So you can go there, people, and see some more details, and you have, fortunately, you have some info in English here.
0: Yeah. I have a very short description of the three original Freemason degrees.
1: Yeah, and... and, uh, uh, yeah, Freemasons' Roots on the British Isles and uh, Three Degrees. So this is good because then we have something for our international audience no. to send them to because I don't know how many Norwegians will listen. Uh, I don't know how many Norwegians who are interested in masonry will listen. Probably some. But um, I don't think enough to make your book a bestseller. <laughs> no, no. But if, it's, uh, if it had been in English, you would see uh, uh, more sales. But uh, when it eventually is translated, uh, we'll, uh, we'll have you back when you work on your second book. And if this is translated by then, we'll give it
0: a shout out. And hopefully if, that will help. If, if, yeah, it's a very good idea if it's someone they want to publish it in English. Yeah.
1: And if anyone listening... Feel competent and interested enough to help contribute to translate this book because you are interested in getting it into English, are you not?
0: Yes, very much. I've tried in vain, but I haven't found that, found that <laughs> publisher.
1: Well, I, I think a publisher will be easier once you have it translated, you know. Um, it starts, I guess, with having an English manuscript, and then I mean, it's not hard to get a book like this published today. But you need you need to uh, let them see what it is. Yeah. But we can say in the show today that if anyone listening here has the competence to translate, we, you know, we can maybe ask for someone to
0: volunteer. Are you interested in that? I'm talking about your first book. Yes, yes, yeah. absolutely, of the first book. But I don't want to to talk about the second book That's okay. because I'm, I'm see if I can get a, a Dr. philosophy degree from the University in Oslo on the second book Ah, like an honorary one right yeah mm. uh, because I, I have written this and I, I've been quite um, um, concentrated on the work but you, you're an engineer by uh, education right Yes, that's right. And I, I have an MBA from INSEAD in Fontainebleau. Right. Since, um, since then, I worked in industry consulting and bank in Norway. So uh, so
1: that's, yeah. So uh, I'm assuming back in the day when you were taking your education, was it in English?
0: No. it books and stuff? It, it, yeah. The first four and a half years um, in Trondheim in Norway, engineering, that was Norwegian. And uh, we had uh, most of our books in uh, Norwegian or German. So how and
1: come your English is so good? If it wasn't education, what was it?
0: Uh, I spent about a year in England hmm. in, with practical work and holidays. Right. So it's um, you have you have to have know some English if you are going around in the world today. Right. So um, I used to have technical English in my work. And uh, I've also been um, one year at uh, business school in uh, Fontainebleau, also in Paris, in France, where uh, English was the main my main language. That right. also had had to have a second language and a third, and that was German and and French. So I understand some French, and I also speak some German.
1: Wow, multilingual. Yeah, it's the same with me actually. I, speak I, a un petit peu français. Okay. Yeah. And I speak a little German. Okay. What What What's your background? Well, you know, I'm from Bergen, so uh, traditionally German is yeah. closer to us. But um, and so yeah, so we do. Yeah. But yeah. anyway. Because you have a website, so if anyone want to contribute, they can contact you on this website. Yeah. Uh, actually, I tried mailing you through this. Uh, is the email there updated? I, I think so, yes. Because uh, I mailed you there, and you never replied. When I texted you, you gave me another email.
0: Yeah, I have two emails, but uh, okay. But let me, let me check that email.
1: Well, I can tell you it's ovid at anno.
0: Yeah. Yes, I think it is. Let, let me just uh,
1: see. Okay. If it works, they can use that one. arvid at, at Yeah. Okay.
0: Mm.
1: Okay. So, uh, anyone listening in who have... Uh, s- uh, sufficient uh, linguistics knowledge, who, who knows Norwegian and English, can contribute. I mean, you don't need one person to take the whole book. Maybe different persons could take different chapters and then you could find read, foolproof it, no. uh, and that way it could come out. It's a very interesting book, so I would uh, uh, it would be great for English-speaking people to have access to it, because when you talked about stuff today, you used a lot of Norwegian and Norse words, place names etc which is very hard for them to follow yeah. but when you have a book like this translated to English it would be much much more easier for them to, to get what we are actually talking about here so uh, yeah I encourage people to do that uh, and also to the conspiracy theorists out there nobody has come and murdered you or punished you in a freemasonic way yet <laughs>
0: no i'm I'm still alive and, uh, and and there have been no one at the door either <laughs> so
1: yeah that goes just go bad but, but if this was uh, uh, in the Viking age maybe it would be worse for you
0: yeah I think so if they are if they had followed their the rituals yeah, yeah but I must also say that i have also got me- strong support from many Freemasons that I know, and from other Freemasons as well that are that do know agreed that they sh- have kicked me out.
1: Right, you're right.
0: So uh, I- I'm very glad for that.
1: Like what we could call real Freemasons. So yeah. that's good, and uh, I'm thinking many, many more would love this this book. And look, people, you don't have to agree with everything here, but at least he is researching. I mean, what you cannot deny, you cannot deny the similarity. Maybe you would want to say, well, maybe not the Norse became the Mason, maybe it was the other way around, maybe it went both ways. It doesn't matter. The fact is Ovid has documented physically, you can see it in the book, pictures, everything, the similarities, and that cannot be dismissed so uh, uh, how far you want to take the connection it's up to each and everyone but at least read his his argument and then make up a decision and not do as the priest just condemn it from the outset which is the very definition of ignorance by the way <laughs> yes sure Yeah, and uh, I know a little bit about your next project and I'm. I, I said to you in private I said when that book is out and that book will be in English right the second one
0: uh, I I'm. Re- I must have it translate,
1: that translated but that would be easier because it's not so obscure it's a broader subject yeah. mm-hmm. but like I said to you it's completely uh, very relevant today there's a lot of people interested in that we cannot go into details yet but uh, I- I'm telling you it's going to be super much interest in that and uh, I would love to have you back on my show when that book is out okay to um, uh, make some attention about the theories that you are sharing there Thank you Al yeah. thank you very much yeah, yeah. looking yeah. forward to that very well okay that's it Arvid. it, it was, was an absolute, absolute pleasure, pleasure having you on today thank yeah. you very yeah. much yeah. Same, same, same same to you, you. Thank, thank you so, you so much. much thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So far today, now um, I will read to you some historical context before signing off. But first, let me alert you good people to some news. We now receive crypto coins as donations. So if you want to donate via Bitcoin, you are more than welcome to. I finally figured out how it works and... uh, so, those of you who want to chip in some freedom money to help us uh, bring you controversial and interesting stuff. I mean, oh, it's not easy these days, huh? where everything is now being forced into uh, the bottleneck of the corporate paradigm. But we'll do our best, despite shadow banning and censoring. And by the way, that brings us to the second news, that... We are present at all podcast platforms. So whichever you use, just search for Forum Borealis and add us there. It's so important that you subscribe. That's real currency in this business these days. The number of subscribers. It influences everything from, you know, ads being picked to run at our stuff to guests coming on to to mentions here and there which help spread our show so if you like our shows subscribe but the real news because most of you have caught up to the podcast presence but the real news is that we are also out on something called Odyssey now I'm sure most of you haven't heard about Odyssey despite that I think it is one of the best candidates to become the new tube but you probably heard of library. It's actually without vowels, library or something. Maybe it's a play on the word liberty and library. And they, every show that's present at YouTube, can be automatically transferred to library. So you should encourage all your favorite channels to make backup there. So when the day comes that we are being deleted, this is where you will find us. And which, again, makes it super important that you subscribe, not just on YouTube, if you're one of our YouTube listeners, but that you also, for backup's sake, unless you're, of course, a subscriber to our website, then I, I guess it doesn't matter. But do subscribe to us on Library and at Podcast. Now... Um, what I'm going to read to you is lifted from Arvid's uh, website, which I encourage you to go to, because although it's just a fragment of his book, there are some tangible stuff there that can help you determine to which degree you should take seriously uh, his uh, theory. But I'm not going to read the detail factoids concerning you know, finds and rituals and symbols and all that stuff. Um, I'm going to go to the more basic, just historical context that we gave some of in part one, but more details here. But I suppose for those of you who are deeply into Masonic stuff, uh, it's probably more interesting to see the specifics in the similarities. And by the way, I should also make note that I'm not a Freemason. I'm not into any Freemasonic order, but... I am, as my regular listener knows, uh, into esoterica. And just by that virtue, I'm, I've am i also studied masonry, which you can't avoid in this field. So, uh, that's a disclaimer. So, this isn't me trying to, like, whitewash masonry or, for that sake, Norse religion. I'm not a member of Bifrost or any other Orsa True Society, So I couldn't care less whether people believe this stuff or not whether they're into this stuff or not I'm just concerned about truth and interesting stuff and culture and general education and if this is true then this has to be known So if Norse religion has survived within the core of Masonry the Blue Degrees then uh, it's sensational and it should be everywhere not just at my show so spread the word spread the word now some historical context the norse settlers brought their traditions legal system and religions with them they also had considerable linguistic influence in britain they introduced norse justice and social order that rested on a religious basis the gods watched over legal and social order made sure the That law and order were respected and implemented. The social community among the Scandinavians was also a cultic community. The Viking Society in Scotland. Norwegian farmers began their migration to the Orkneys and Shetlands in the 600 AD. In the centuries that followed, a large number of Norwegian Vikings and farmers settled here and in the conquered areas. The Vikings formed their own kingdoms and many of the original, often Celtic people, had to flee over made slaves. The Norwegians also settled in Iceland, Greenland and the Faroe Islands. Scottish sources tell. The Norse Gels were people derived from the original Scandinavian settlers in Scotland. They married local Picts and later Gels, both Celtic peoples. These people eventually dominated the Orkneys, Hebrides, West Scotland, much of Ireland and Northern England. They called themselves God in Old Norse. In Gaelic, the Gal-Gel. Elsewhere, Gels. Galloway in south west Scotland was named after them. Another name was Vikingar Scooter. On mainland Scotland, the Vikings and the Norse settlers had a substantial influence in the counties of Argyll, Galloway and elsewhere on the west coast. The Norse gaels combined Scandinavian and Pictish Gaelic culture and developed a vibrant society of warriors and farmers. They spoke both Norse and Gaelic dialects. They were key players in western Viking history and controlled kingdoms like the Earldom of the Orkneys and Kytos the kingdoms in Dublin and your now known as a York and the Norse kingdoms in the Isle of Man and surrounding islands a considerable number of Norse girls were present for the colonization of Iceland together with their Irish slaves the Norse girls in part followed their earlier Norse religion and in part Christianity we see this actually from if you've listened to my show with Scott Walter on the Sinclair Journals, and by the way, we're going to have a show just on the Sinclair Journals coming up very soon. Uh, then we see that there, it was a matter of fact that they were as late as the 1300s revering both what they call the old religion and the new religion and in part christianity the norse religion was the same everywhere in scandinavia during the viking era they worshiped gods like thor Odin, freya and frey but they lived in a multicultural society with many different languages and we must believe that celtic religions may have influenced the norse religious practices yeah we see that also in the sinclair journals that they had no trouble transitioning between these I mean, if they could entertain the Christian religion, the Norse and the Celtic, should be no problem. And, without saying too much, the second book of Arvid Easter concerns the much older times, where it seems that the arch-natives of Norway that settled right after the Ice Age, not referring to the Sami, they were further north, but the first inhabitants were peaceful and matriarchal society, um, worshipping Freya, and they were invaded several times from the east, and one of these tribes brought with them a more militant patriarchal culture of of Odin and Thor, and. Um, This stuff amalgated, fused, and eventually became the Norse religion that we know from. From the Viking times, but I, I, I won't go too much into that now because it's gonna be a show of itself and you can read all about it when Ovid's second book come out. And of course now we are at the Bronze Age uh, there. But let's uh, forward again to the settlement of the British Isles. So England and the Dane law. Christianity has gotten a kind of upper hand amongst the population when the Vikings from Denmark and Norway started to stream into England in the 800s. By the way the real Vikings, the berserkers were from the western coast of Norway okay, so they got it wrong in the serious Vikings the Swedes, Swedish Vikings were mainly traders and explorers they went far east into Russia and many places like that But and the Danish were were merchants and they also went far but these wild beasts (laughs) that they are portrayed as were basically Norwegians by the way, another thing I should add when we're at the topic of Vikings just for the general uh, education fact is, the Vikings weren't better or worse than other contemporaries the reason they have such a bad ass rep is because they were the last Europeans, among the last Europeans to be Christians, for one. So they were, of course, slandered and, you know, they were regarded as beastly heathens and their detractors, when they were written about in uh, Christian sources in Europe, they were trumped up to be much worse than what they were. Uh, They were as fierce warriors as other great warrior cultures in Europe, but they weren't like more beastly or or brutish than others they were people like everyone else only they weren't christian so of course they were projected upon as very bad and a second reason for that is that in the beginning which really hailed in the viking times where, was when they started attacking cloisters monasteries in england and other places where Oh, that was so gruesome. How could they attack the house of God, etc.? And so, they were becoming, you know, boogeyman stories to tell your kids to go to bed. But really, they were just like everyone else. And eventually also became Christian. Um, So, And how... Well, that's a show in itself. I'm going to have on a Norwegian guest who has researched into this. And it seems that there wasn't Catholics, like I mentioned in part one of this show. And mentioned it to Scott Walter too. It was via the Celtic church, which in itself was a kind of a heretic church. But that's another story for another day and its own show. So, um, yeah, much juice coming up uh, when it comes to this part of history and this area of history. Uh, Back to the text here. So, started to stream into England in the 800s. In the year 851, a fleet of 350 Viking ships sailed up to the, the river Thames to attack London and Canterbury. The Vikings set up camp this time and spent the winter in England. This was no longer strictly about raids, but rather the conquering of large areas of land. After 15 years of conquest, the Vikings had control over the kingdoms of Northumberland, Wessex, Mercia and East Anglia. Those of you who have watched the series Vikings recognize this from there. Which comprises the greater part of East England. The Viking Eva Bainlöse, over the boneless, took the city of York, Jorvik, in November 866 AD. The area of England that was subject to the Vikings' laws was called Danelagen (Dane law). The Danish king Gorm and Anglo-Saxon king Alfred the Great entered into a treaty in 878 that stated that the border of Danelagen or D- Danelaw law) would follow the old Roman road that went from London to the River Mersey. The Old Norse language was called the Danish tongue in England. And that's because the Danish Vikings basically invaded the south, southern part of England, and the Norwegian Vikings, the northern part, and Scotland. And, of course, Hebrides, parts of Ireland, Orkneys, etc. The Scandinavians could understand each other well, even better than today. The languages were considered dialects the Vikings could to some extent also make themselves understood by the Angles and Saxons who had immigrated to England from the northern Germany and Jutland in the 400s and early 500s. So old English folks is actually closer to old Norse. In all the areas where the Vikings settled down, they were rapidly involved in local politics and contributed actively in political development. Jorvik and Northumberland. The Viking city of York, Jorvik, was the most important city in Northumberland, which for a long time was its own kingdom between Northern England and Scotland. The city's trade relations reached as far as Byzantium and even further to Samarkand. Around Yorvik Christian and pagan themes have survived next to each other, a sign that Christianity was only one of many religions during this time. In the middle of the 11th century, that's the 1000s, Jorvik was the second largest city in England, with around 15,000 citizens. Only London had a higher population. Seven kings of Norwegian ancestry ruled in Jorvik between the years 883 and 954. Here we also find King Sigtryg. He was king in Dublin between 917 and 921 and in Jorvik from 921 to 927. King Sigtryg married the English king Athelstein's sister the year before he died that's the year before Sig died let's look more closely at this English king who could have gotten many important ideas from the Scandinavians in Norway he is best known for having raised Harald Fairhair's son Håkon who became king of Norway in Uh, 933-961 he's known as Håkon the Good Håkon's more famous brother Erik Bloodaxe became later king in Jorvik Now, the story goes on. He explains how Stein took over and Christianized the Norse religion into what we now know as masonry. And a lot of interesting, detailed stories. And, you know, England today would be much more Scandinavian if it wasn't for the fact that some other Scandinavian heirs, the Normans. And if you remember the serious Vikings, that was the brother of Ragnar Lothbrok, who invaded France and got permission to settle there they became Christian and eventually integrated into the Franco society and they came back with a vengeance to England Ironically the children of the Norwegians as the snake biting its tail came back and they were super gruesome You can read some about it in his book, but it's also mainstream history and they slaughtered it I mean it was what we call a genocide And lots and lots of Norse had to flee north. And because of that, there's more Norse ancestry in Scotland than there is in England itself today. But hadn't that happened, or had they been more peaceful and and taken over in a normal way and integrated, there would be much, much, much more Scandinavian influence in England than is generally remembered today. Now, if you find this kind of uh, history interesting, we're going to have on yet another guest in this Norse series of ours, in addition to the Norwegian researcher speaking of uh, the Celtic church and how the Vikings were Christian, in addition to talking with the translator of the Sinclair journals, I'm going to have an Icelander on who's going to blow your mind about unknown history from this time period and this area of the world and notwithstanding their travels over to America But that's it for today Thanks for listening I've been your host Al Vaheil och Until our paths cross again Be seeing you
0: Number one.